Welcome to Insurance Uncut, a show all about insurance. Each week, we'll be taking a different topic that impacts the insurance industry and discussing it with our guest. If you work in the general insurance market or have an interest in insurance, this podcast is for you. I'm Charles Cronier. And I'm Jessica Clark. And Insurance Uncut is brought to you by the insurance team at LCP. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on the show or any topic suggestions, so please get in touch to share your ideas and feedback. Let's kick off with this week's episode. Hi, Charles. How are you doing this week? I'm very well, thanks, Jess. I'm actually in South Africa this week seeing family. Looking forward to being back in the UK next week. I'm sure things are very Christmassy over there already. Yeah, Oxford Street starting to ramp up. All the lights from the shops can hear Christmas music. I quite like a bit of Christmas music, but I have to say it starts too early in November. Then I'm really done by the time it actually reaches Christmas Day. Absolutely. And I suppose at least this time we're hopefully not going to be in a lockdown in the period leading up to it. Fingers crossed. Really (laughs) would not be fun to go through that again. Well, I'm very excited about our topic today. It's something that I've been hoping we would have a podcast on for a long time, which is a roundup of the natural catastrophe season which of course is something that's a real focus for general insurers at this time of the year. We have the Atlantic hurricane season, which tends to happen late in the year. And so now's the moment where everyone's sort of looking back and thinking, how did that all pan out? And when we talk about catastrophes, it's much broader than just Atlantic hurricanes. It's also much broader than just natural events. And I'm particularly thrilled that we've got one of LCP's experts in this area to talk to us today. So welcome, Richard Holloway. Hi, it's great to be here and great to actually be on a podcast having listened to so many. So Richard Holloway is a senior consultant here at LCP and advises a range of insurance and reinsurance clients on matters including the design, building and validation of capital models for Solvency 2. Richard has developed several new techniques for developing dependency modelling within capital models and presenting these results to firms. He is a qualified chartered accountant which means he's also providing insights on accounting issues that arise as part of financial modelling. Great to get your perspective, Richard, here, which I think will be a unique and different take. What I'm really hoping we'll get today is for someone out there who's working in an actuarial team, be it capital modelling, reserving, whatever area, it'd be really good to get in one place an encapsulated view of the catastrophe season we've just had and how it differs from other years and what are some of the special issues that people need to think about Also for directors or C-suite members, thinking about the strategy going forward, catastrophes are changing. Everybody's saying that climate change is going to have a huge impact. How does that all feed into future strategy? I hope we'll be touching on some of those areas today. Yeah, certainly will. It's worth noting at the start that there's obviously always a human side to all these events, and they are tragedies in many cases. We'll be touching upon that to some extent, but we probably will be focusing a bit more on the financial impact of these catastrophes. So with that in mind, let's kick off with the biggest cat of the season, Ida. Richard, could you just give us a rundown of where it was and what the cost of the event was? This is a fairly active North Atlantic hurricane season. Basically, the one event that dominated the season was Hurricane Ida. It came in through the Gulf of Mexico and up through Louisiana. And therefore, it is one of the areas that is particularly highly populated. Katrina was the last large hurricane to strike there, and that was another major event. In terms of total cost, estimates are still stabilizing. We've had estimates of 20 to 30 billion in terms of insured loss, that's dollars, and anything up to 50 to 70 in terms of total cost. 
So Richard, Ida was clearly the most important one from an insured losses point of view. I know sometimes hurricanes cause a severe economic or human loss that isn't necessarily huge in insured terms. Also, sometimes there are near-miss hurricanes, which if they travel on a slightly different path, might have caused gigantic losses. Is there anything of that nature this season? There have been several major hurricanes that haven't made landfall. If a hurricane happens out at sea, then a lot of the ships can get out of the way and that sort of thing. But we've had another Category 4 hurricane during the season, fairly late on during the season. And had that gone on a different path, then you might have had a second major loss. That's one of the key things about the hurricane season and perhaps on global warming that we'll touch on later, what the impact of those sorts of events are. So insurers might count themselves relatively lucky that of the major hurricanes, not that many actually caused significant loss. Yeah, I mean, there were only four landfalling hurricanes this season, really, and that compares to six in both of the previous two years. And since we're talking about the frequency of hurricanes, of course, something that everybody's wondering at the moment is whether climate change is causing hurricanes to become more frequent. What's your view on that? That is really tricky. And I've done a lot of analysis and various bits in terms of the stats because the stats are all freely available. It's all public domain data. If you look at the frequency of hurricanes, you will see that firstly, it's fairly noisy. There's only a few events each year. But secondly, there's this cycle that goes on, which lasts between 40 and 60 years. And that's to do with the sea surface temperature. There's a cycle in the Atlantic Ocean that causes fluctuations in the sea surface temperature. And the warmer the water, the more likely hurricanes are to form. That in and of itself has caused a lot of analysis around that point. Is that the El Nino? There's two, actually. There's one, which is the El Nino effect, which happens on a cycle of around nine years. And that does have an effect. But the major one that drives the frequency of the hurricane formation is what's called the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation. And that's got the long period of 40 to 60 years. So you've got those two different effects working on their own cycles. Analyzing that rare data is quite tricky. So you need to take an average over a fairly long period to see any trends at all. So given that there are these two other cycles going on, how do scientists try and discern whether climate change is having its own effect in increasing the frequency? Again, that's really tricky. The mechanism's quite clear in that the sea surface temperature is one of the things that's taken into account of the annual forecast. So in April, you get a forecast of how active the hurricane season is likely to be. And those are relatively useful indicators. They're not always perfectly accurate, but as good as a weather forecast. And given how far you're going out, it's quite a useful planning tool. In terms of the long-term trend, it is quite tricky. If you look at the total number of hurricanes, one of the larger effects is actually an uptick from around the 1950s and 60s. But when you dig into why that's occurring, it's actually because more hurricanes are being spotted because there's improved satellite coverage rather than actual higher frequency. If you look at landfalling hurricanes, and of course, if hurricanes hit land, then they're much more likely to be spotted. And you look at that on a 60-year average, there's very little increase over the available span of data. And the data goes right back to 1951 through to current day. That's puzzling to me. We can see a mechanism for global warming having an effect. And yet we're not yet seeing some of that come through. We've talked a bit about this hurricane season and the fact that it's dominated mainly by one hurricane. What I'm keen to do is to relate that to the process that many insurers are about to go through, which is the year-end reserving process. A lot of our work is closely involved with that. What are the things that people ought to be looking out for when looking at the recent 
hurricane season and actually just the general cat season and working out how to reflect that appropriately in reserves. For people for whom this cat is significant, should be having some form of catastrophe model. That can be a really useful tool in reserving for this sort of loss. Because of the way that the exposure is built up, it will tell you which policies are likely to be affected and also to what extent. And you can use that as a track on a policy by policy basis for what the loss is likely to be. So if you haven't heard from someone who you might expect to have a major loss, it might be time for a preemptive phone call and saying, are you all right? Have you actually suffered the loss that we're expecting? Taking that proactive approach can often give a bit of customer service, as it were, to your policyholders. You'd expect many insurers to have really solid processes around ensuring that they're being notified of claims, etc. But from a reserving point of view and trying to get an idea of how those claims are going to develop between now and when they're settled, what do you see as being some of the special issues that people need to think about this year? This year, and for this loss in particular, the key thing is around what in capital we call loss amplification or demand surge. And that is one of the things that in a really big loss, you get a shortage of some sort of key service. For a hurricane loss, it would be shortage of builders and roofers and claims handlers and those sort of people. That's actually exacerbated by some of the COVID impacts and some of the supply chain impacts. And we have definitely seen reports of difficulties in getting hold of building materials and that sort of thing. So it's something to watch in terms of the individual claims and how they're coming through, whether there are delays in repairs and whether that's actually causing you an increase in cost as a large number of insurers and others are fighting for the available builders and having to ship them in perhaps from other states. So in summary, demand surge is probably a bigger worry this year than it's been in the past because of all the inflationary trends and demand supply disruption we're seeing around the world. Both demand surge and potentially delays in claim and claim payments. So it might not be developing as quickly as other catastrophe claims have in the past. This analysis all sounds really useful. Can it benefit anyone else in the company in terms of getting hold of this information? One of the things to watch on these sorts of losses and any severe loss is unfortunate, but is an opportunity to gather data around these extreme events that are incredibly important. One of the challenges around modeling catastrophes is the completeness of the cost base. Now, the vendor models do their best, but tracking and being aware of the sort of costs that are covered by the vendor models and tracking whether you're getting different sorts of costs coming through on this particular loss would be of interest, particularly to the validation team when they come to look at that sort of thing. And whether you're getting losses coming through from policies that you don't expect, whether that's actually property policies or some of the other type of policies that have also happened to have been affected by the event and looking for correlations and accumulations that might not get picked up by the catastrophe models. Just keeping an eye out for that as you go through the reserving exercise is going to prove very, very useful for the capital modeling teams down the line. Now, we've talked mainly about hurricanes so far. What other natural catastrophes are there this year that people might be needing to think about in the reserving process? Staying in the US for a minute, the forest fire season has been another major event. I was looking at some statistics for the Californian forest fires. Nine out of the top 20 largest fires ever have been in the last two years. So that's another major loss and you've seen some of the impacts. And that's another one where you can directly see the link with climate change as temperatures become warmer and rainfall patterns change as well. You'll get areas of dry forest 
which a single lightning strike, and it has been lightning strikes for a number of the losses this year, will set that off. So you've got hurricanes where most of the damage occurs in a very short space of time, a few days max. But forest fires seem to sometimes go on for weeks and weeks. So presumably that has a big impact on how quickly people can gather data on what the losses have been and what they're going to cost. That's certainly the case. The population centres are going to be the areas that are most heavily defended, protected, but with evacuations in a variety of areas, then you can see different sections of losses occurring and those will occur at different times depending on the way that the fire develops and fires by their nature are quite unpredictable, driven by wind and can last many days, weeks and even months in certain cases. You mentioned that we've had nine of the worst fires in the last couple of years. How are catastrophe models, are they up to date with the latest information or are they not as good as modelling forest fires because it's changing so much? Forest fires data or forest fire models are substantially less well-developed than hurricane and earthquake. In the past years, they have been much smaller component of the overall loss, and it's only relatively recently that they have become much more significant. Various people are trying to develop their own models in-house, and given the speed of development of this loss type, and we're seeing this in Europe as well with increasing forest fires, it's very important to look at the data that you're using to parameterize those models and make sure that if you're taking an average of the last five years, that's probably not going to be representative of the next couple of years. So obviously we talked about hurricanes, forest fires, both of those are major events. The other thing that occurs to me is winter storms, the Texas freeze, those types of things. Easy to forget those, but they can be very significant financially. What does that look like over the last year? There's been those freeze events. We're coming into the main European storm season, which tends to be October through to early February. And there's also been the major Central European floods over the summer as well. You've got a number of other weather-related events. The Texas freeze was particularly unusual to have that weather effect that far south. The most interesting impact is on the power supply around that, and there may be a non-natural element to that particular catastrophe as the liability for that gets sorted out. But also you've got the Central European floods, which have been the worst in a number of years, starting to see those sort of events become more frequent and more common as well. In countries where there is a strong economy and there is money to effectively repair the damage done by all these catastrophes, you can see that that can actually generate economic activity and there's a positive silver lining, as it were. What about countries who literally can't afford to repair the damage and where they're being hit constantly by catastrophes every year? Are there countries that go into that negative spiral? There certainly are. A number of the Caribbean islands have suffered from hurricanes over the last few years. Haiti, Puerto Rico are on that same hurricane path as the southern part of the United States. There it takes a major investment just to recover from those sorts of things. Insurance policies have a relatively low penetration there, so you don't have that as a resource. But there are other things that governments at their level can do. In those circumstances, then governments can buy high-level insurance to help them fund the rebuilding effort. There's been a number of efforts by actuaries and others to construct policies that governments can buy in so that they've got the funds available when they need it. I wanted to talk a little bit about the regulatory capital that insurers are required to hold. And of course, for many insurers in the London market in particular, the big driver of that regulatory capital requirement is catastrophe exposure. And I know there's been pressure from regulators over the years 
along the lines of do firms understand the models they're using? Are the models, in fact, good enough? Are we reaching an interesting point where because of climate change and the potential disruption to historical weather and hydrological patterns, those models are going to become less reliable and it's going to be harder for insurers to justify what their true cat exposure really is? The models that they've got have a good basis and there's no need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The constant challenge is what now, what's different, what's missing? That's really has been the focus of the regulators around the last few years, what's missing. And that can be in a number of different dimensions. We've talked about Californian forest fires as being a new risk type. So that's one aspect. We've talked a little bit about supply disruptions, and that can cause knock-on effects from either natural catastrophes or exacerbate natural catastrophes. So that's another aspect that could be missing. Again, the severity impacts that we talked about with the changing in temperature on both forest fires and hurricanes can make your baseline numbers inadequate. You need to allow for that and the trends in that as well. And then it's the fact that some elements of the cost are different and difficult to model and therefore aren't included in the model. So you need to allow for those and think about those separately. When there is an event, tracking those individual elements of cost can be useful just to check that they're not becoming significant or there aren't any new aspects of that that you'll need to take into account in those models. Richard, so far, all the catastrophes we've been talking about relate to property damage. But of course, there is also the concept of a liability catastrophe. And I know that's something that you've been giving quite a bit of thought to. What are some of the things that should be on insurers' radars and might become more important over the coming years? Liability catastrophes are incredibly challenging to model. That's reflected in some of the regulatory findings that people don't quite understand their own exposures, at least as well as they do on the property side. That was a report from the PRA about a year ago now. But that's really because they are very, very challenging to model. In property cats, it's actually relatively easy. Location is the key variable, and you have something happening that can impact a particular region or area, and you know what that something is because that's the thing you're insuring. For liability cats, it's much more complex. You've got a number of different ways that those can manifest. Supply chain is one, so it's all the different products and services that could come through and what might cause that disruption and who might be affected is very, very difficult to track. And I know people have started to build up modeling systems that allow them to start to track those. But it's also impacting different industries might be affected differently. Different jurisdictions might get affected differently. It's a really difficult problem even to assess the accumulations that might be most important and the scenarios that might be most important to to an individual book. What would some typical examples be of liability cats? One of the ones that's particularly close to my heart is the Thai floods. That was a natural event, but it caused a liability catastrophe as well through supply disruption because a lot of the semiconductor factories were on the banks of the river that flooded. And therefore, there was knock-on impacts right through to shops not being able to get their PlayStations for Christmas. Bringing this all together then, how would you summarize this year's cat season compared to other recent years? And what are some of the key things you think people need to be aware of going into 2022? The key points are climate change is clearly going to become a bigger and bigger issue for catastrophe models. Looking at the data as it comes in and looking for those trends early could provide you with a competitive advantage and making sure that you have and are discussing the different risks around these elements 
in an open and honest way internally and trying to get that information flow really smooth and really slick is going to be critical for both coming up with a decent reserve and coming up with a decent figure for capital. Great. Thanks so much, Richard. That's been a really interesting and insightful conversation. A couple of things to end on. What is the one thing we wouldn't find on your CV, but we should know about you? Well, I'll give you a couple. One is over the last 12 years, I've been involved in building a church. It opened in the last month or so. That's been a really big project that I've been really proud to be involved with. And it's amazing what you can do with 700 tons of oak. So that's really great. My other passion is rugby. I enjoy watching my son play rugby. I haven't played for a number of years, but I last really played at school. And there was a rather good rugby player that I used to play with at school, whose name is Matt Dawson, who went on to play for England and the British and Irish Lions. So I I knew him before he was famous. Could you tell Ben playing with him and like, oh, this guy's really good? Yeah, that guy was really good. I was playing at the back of the scrum and he was scrum half. So he knew where you wanted you and he knew what you wanted to do. So he was nice and bossy then too, which is what you want off a scrum half. And any recommendations for something that we should read, watch or listen to that you've particularly enjoyed recently? Podcasts are my thing. And I think for anybody involved in the insurance industry, I think listening to Tim Harford's Cautionary Tales is an absolute must. I think there's so much useful stuff there around risk and the views of risk. I'm also really interested in anything where people have a real passion and a deep knowledge for something, whatever it happens to be. And a podcast that really scratches that itch is 99% Invisible. It does a whole bunch of stuff around design and a whole variety of topics. And you never quite know what you're going to get, but it's really insightful and fascinating stories. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been fascinating talking to you. That's all we have time for this week on Insurance Uncut. Please join us in two weeks' time for another episode. This podcast was brought to you by LCP. We'd like to thank Nikki Freegard, Deepika Misra, and Matthew Passy for helping to produce this episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be taken as advice. All views expressed by podcast hosts and guests are purely their own opinions and do not represent those of LCP, its clients or affiliates. LCP makes no warranty, guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast.